Hello and welcome to episode four of the Classroom and Beyond podcast. Today is going to be a very special episode indeed. I'm joined by head teacher and community extraordinaire Chris Dyson, um, a man who leads Parkland School in Leeds, Parkland's primary school. Chris Dyson has had a very interesting career and done some absolutely amazing things. Now, we hear about those a lot, and what I'm looking to do today is really go a little bit deeper and find out about the man behind the waistcoat. I'd like to hear about Chris's career as a teacher, his journey to leadership, and some of the trials and tribulations he might have had along the way to becoming the, the man and the leader he is today. I hope it's an episode that inspires, that educates, and that you can take plenty from. So here we go, my interview with head teacher Chris Dyson. Hello, we're on. Chris, we finally got there, didn't we? Can you hear me all right? I can. Let me just turn you up. Amazing. Great stuff. Um, thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast, Chris. I mentioned in the introduction that I'm going to try and keep this a little bit different to some of the um, the interviews I've seen you do before where you talk about the great stuff you're doing at Parklands. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit about um, the sort of career and journey that made you uh, the man you are today. But before we get started, I guess we have to mention the elephant in the room, school closures. How are you finding things? Well, it's a new challenge, you know. It's one that everyone's come together on. Uh, we don't do any training on this when you do your MPQH or anything like that. It is literally crisis yeah. management. Uh, but as I said, everyone's come together, whether you're on the right wing, the left wing, you're a Labour fan, a Tory, a Green, a Scottish National. Everyone seems to really pull together on this, which has been really lovely and yeah, refreshing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And lots of, um, lots of good feeling amongst the teaching community. It's not always that way, but it does seem everyone's really pulled together haven't they um well it does when you think about brexit and then the election and you're either one way or yeah. the other well this is just this is just galvanized it everybody. really has at your school in terms of like numbers of pupils coming in staff rotors how have you how's it looking at parklands well i'll be honest uh, i had a really interesting conversation with a, a really senior uh, figure from the naht last yeah. week a really close friend to me who basically rang me and had a real go saying, Chris, 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 this is not the Parkland show. You know, you can't be opening your school up to 140, 150 people. Sure. You're going to spread that virus and things. So having such an honest conversation with someone you respect so yeah. much is, is fantastic and things. So we spent last weekend as a senior leadership team dramatically cutting that number 140 okay. plus down to minimum 20 percent sure. and then down to 10 percent. that's great and there's still a lot of community work you're doing in the meantime in terms of free school meals and packages to the community is there i know you've got um a high people premium uh, percentage at your school so is there quite a bit the school's still doing remotely yeah, I mean, this is why it's funny being a head teacher at the moment because I'm a bit like Arthur Daly. I was swapping 220 nappies last week for 220 tins, which then I can distribute amongst the community and things. So, learning new skills. Yeah, look at you reinventing yourself at this stage. I love that. <laughs> um, awesome. So, we'll jump straight in. Um, I was going to start by thinking way back to a young Chris Dyson. Um, when you were at school, Chris, how, how did you find school growing up, primary school? Um, any teachers that left an impression on you? What, what was that experience like for you early on? Well, <clears throat> school days for me were my best days ever. I just loved every moment from getting up to going into school to being with friends. 
to having some great teachers. Mrs. George, oh, she had my heart my entire oh. life when I was at Intake Primary School. And then good old Mr. Fletcher went when we went to City uh, School in Sheffield up on Stradbrook Road. Uh, Bob Kerr, you know, there were some really inspirational people out there. But I was one of those kids in your class. You either loved me or you hated yeah. me. I always had I always had something to say. I weren't a violent sort of child, no. but my mouth, you know, I had to really be reined in and things. So, uh, so yeah, so when you talk to me, old teachers, most of them were like, wow, <laughs> you've never done what you've done and things. Whereas others, others are thinking, oh, he was that lovely little chirpy chappy that uh, that we knew we were always going to get to oh, the top. I can I can see some similarities in myself already there, Chris. Um, what was it about <laughs> those teachers you've mentioned that that really stuck with you what was it that sort of allowed them to get you they understood me you know they knew that I was a bit of the the class joker and things uh and they enjoyed bringing that out me in their sort of lessons what I struggled with was the lessons where you weren't allowed to talk you weren't allowed to really have eye contact with anybody uh and they were the challenge sort of challenging ones for me but you know Mrs George she gave me all the time all her efforts uh and when I was really struggling in school she was the one that was uh, sort of there for me. Because back in the good old 1970s primary system that I was yeah. at, we had streamlined classes. You had an A class and a B class. Uh, and I was always the very bottom of the A class because everyone sat in order, the best, and then the second, third, fourth, until you come down to me, sat in seat number 31. Um, so, but, but they believed in me and put me into that set, in those sets, and that was, that was great. Do, do you think some of that has stayed with you in terms of your sort of teaching philosophy, um, in terms of how, when you went into teaching, were there things that you, that you definitely wanted to take from your education and, and sort of bring into your teaching? And I guess things that you maybe wanted to do differently in terms of streaming and children being aware of where they sat academically in a classroom? Oh, yeah, because obviously I knew what, what seat I was sat yeah. in. Uh, and everybody knew what seat I was sat in. Um, so it was just a case of when you come in to teach and make sure that, that the vulnerable children, the ones who aren't as bright, yeah. are still empowered because they're still progressing. They're still, they're still good. And everybody's good at something. Definitely. I was blessed. That I, was the, I was best in a school in PE, yeah. at football and cricket and rounders. But I really, really struggled on things like maths. And when I actually, believe it or not, even though I'm, I'm sort of see myself sort of a maths teacher yeah, now, yeah. Uh, back in the day, I failed my, my GCSE the first really? time I did it. Uh, and I look back at the primary years where if I didn't know how to do it, such as exchanging and yeah. subtraction and things, I used to get shouted at, I used to get caned, you know, in front of the old class. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, it's not my fault. I just can't see it. I just can't get it and things. So. And I guess that links to a lot of work everyone does nowadays in trying to find different ways to to engage and maximize the potential of different learners doesn't it like i guess a oh, one definitely. size fits all approach was probably a bit more common years back and as you see people fall through the nest or um perhaps don't reach their potential in that sort of system oh the number of times i used to get i've had the cane the slipper the old-fashioned uh sort of chalkboard rubber slung across the room at me oh. you know i was uh but times changed in those days that was quite normal but if you only got five out of 12 on your spellings and you were out to the front to get the slip, yeah, you know, yeah. thank goodness, uh, motivational tactics have we'll, changed we'll, in the last uh, Yeah, for sure. We'll move on later on. to um, talking about how you do things at Parklands, but I sense that a lot of the, um, a lot of the stick approach that you experienced in your schooling has, 
perhaps impacted your ability to dangle the carrot, so to speak, nowadays with a lot of the incentivizing and feel-good aspects that you're um, showing at Parklands and how you're sort of engaging such a broad community there. Um, what about when you're at school, Chris? Let's move to secondary school now. Um, did you see yourself becoming a teacher? Was that on your radar? What, what did you think you were going to end up doing for work? Well, it was funny because <clears throat> I didn't have a, a lot when I was a, a child. I was the only child in school that didn't have a dad. Okay. Uh, so I had free school meals. I had to come out of school to go and get free school clothing. Really? And I really felt I really felt different to everybody yeah. else. When it came to Christmas time, I literally had one present, you know. But saying that, we weren't built on sort of capitalism mm-hmm. and monetary value then. I had a beautiful mum, a brother and a sure. sister, you know, and the house was filled full of love. And that's what I tried to take out into into my teaching ways but again going through high school you know it was again meeting a new sets of friends new challenges a really tough high school some really fantastic footballers who went on to play in the premier league but yeah. also some that went into the boxing uh in the boxing yeah. line um i remember being i think it was about 1984 when we had the school strikes when all the kids walked out onto the playground and won't go back in for two or three really? days and I think I think I've got my unionism from from sort of those yeah, days for sure. Cool, blimey. Um, I guess in a profound way, do you think um, not having a father figure yourself growing up or a, a direct father, do you think that's maybe impacted some of the uh, father-like qualities you have over not only your school but the community now? That sort of arm round a shoulder approach that that you seem to give so brilliantly nowadays. I think so. Yeah, I mean, when you when you brought up without a dad. You don't miss having a dad, oh, yeah. so you don't know what, what kind of things you're missing out on. Uh, because we had a mum that was a mum and a dad that yeah. sort of showered with us, loves and loving having good values and uh, a good sort of work ethic. And and to achieve something in life, you've got to work hard. Yeah, no, 100% agree. How do you get into teaching then? How did that happen in terms of getting that first um, teaching role? How did, you, how did that come about? Well, I wanted to make a difference, uh, but then again, looking at a sort of a personal sort of selfish sort of attitude i love the six weeks holiday a six yeah. weeks holiday would be like getting up at seven o'clock in the morning go yeah. climbing some trees then go and making a packed lunch take it down playing football or cricket non-stop all day oh yeah and then and then it came back to going back to school and it was a uh, well what am i going to do eventually when i get a job and you get 20 days holiday a year and things so uh for me i I never knew what I'd, what I'd end up doing. I'd, I'd miss out on that six weeks time where it was just all friendship, all team togetherness, not some yeah. Xbox and things nowadays, just be, just being out and about. Sure. So did you, was teaching your like first career, have you always been in education yourself? Well, I've always had a great work ethic. I managed to uh, blag myself a job at Gateways, uh, which was a supermarket chain then when I was only 15, saying I was uh, 17 and I got a job working Thursday, Friday nights and all day Saturday packing, uh, stacking shelves. Yeah. Um, so I went from a £2.80 paper round to suddenly being the richest kid in the year group because I was only <laughs> twenty-two £22 a week. Crazy, huh? Hey? And then uh, during university, I was obviously doing the bar, uh, working behind bars and things. Where but did then, you go what, to uni? Uh, I went to Birmingham Poly. Yeah, okay. Which actually turned to a uni right at the very end and things. So, but I was a traditional Birmingham poly boy up in up in Perry Bar. Nice. Um, so, and again, new adventures there. Great friendships. Uh, we had a wedding two weeks ago where fifteen of us all met up and things. So, but then that's, that's awesome also been my face to face contact. Always keeping in touch with people and things. Giving phone calls as opposed to text messages and things. So, 
Awesome. I guess I can. Um, I guess I can kind of picture this myself from having met you once or twice. But how did the early days of Chris Dyson as a teacher look then? How, when you were let loose with your first class, how how did that look? How did you find things? And have you got any um, any memorable lessons or perhaps clangers that you could share? Well, it was just about involving everybody, you know. Because as I said, I was gifted sport when I was at primary school, but there was nothing more heartbreaking than. I played for a football team and then they, they put the subs up to £2 a week and my mum just couldn't afford it. And there's nothing more heartbreaking no. for a, a nine-year-old sort of child being told, oh, you can't play football anymore because I can't afford to do it. Uh, so I made sure that when I went to school, you know, I was going to create all my own sporting teams. I was going to give opportunities to everybody to to play sort of sport. Uh, if I fast forward yeah. slightly, I ended up uh, running Pudgy Juniors football uh, team and becoming chairman. Okay. Uh, I ran that team for 10 years, where I had uh, 48 kids on the books at one point. I had an A team that won everything, a B team that won everything, but a C and D team where kids just wanted to come along and play football, irrespective of whether they could afford to play or not. So coming into school, obviously it was just like my school days. I got took into the office so many times to be told off from the head and the deputy head you know, um, for not following <laughs> school policy, doing this way. Yeah. Uh, I used to love going out and playing cricket with the kids from two o'clock till three o'clock every day, having this test series. Uh, oh, mate, the glory the days. Glory, but then the other class had complained saying, why are they We're doing RE and things? So, <laughs> but then that's when you can be really creative with your sort of curriculum. Um, you can't you know, play too much cricket. And think of all that maths involved in cricket. I know. <laughs> doing the average, we had kids doing the averages. It was it was like something like a school of rock, I think so. Oh, but as I said, it, the tips were I remember on one of my school placements, uh, I was doing an RE lesson uh, and I'd winged it. I thought, oh, I won't bother planning this properly today. And then the head and the deputy walked in to do a, a drop in lesson observation, and it was the yeah. longest most painful hour of my life because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And anyway, I got taken in the office after and told, right, we want to see all your lesson plans. Yeah. It's not about winging. You know, this is about inspiring people and take this as a real yeah. warning. So It's a bit of a wake-up call so, there. But sometimes those uh, kick up the backside, go on off, get you focused yeah. and, and make sure you don't take advantage of, of the opportunity that we've got. No, hundred percent. What what about maths then? I know um, I know your school's got some incredible data in terms of um, maths. Uh, you're obviously passionate about that subject yourself. Where when did that passion come then? Because you mentioned as a student yourself, it wasn't your greatest love. But when did you realise? Oh, it's actually something that that I do relate to and that I really enjoy. Because when I was doing things like on the window cleaning round and working behind a bar, you, you, you suddenly your mental arithmetic becomes key. You've got to be subtracting from ten pounds. You've got to be multiplying two pounds twenty times three and change from a twenty and things. This is before tills didn't do yeah. all the things. Um, yeah. And I, I unpicked the reason why I struggled. So I guess you mentioned at university um, taking on lots of sort of sports learning and you mentioned leadership there. Was that your sort of first role as a leader in a school, leading PE? Or how did you get into leadership on a sort of school level? Um, I, I was a PE coordinator and DT coordinator. Uh, and I remember having the sort of first Ofsted, uh, and this is what where I sort of learned from my leadership. Uh, it was my first Ofsted and I was pulled in for 
you know, knocked knocked the ball out of the park on that. Yeah. But then I remember them asking me about DT and asking why I was a DT coordinator, uh, and I made the wrong mis- wrong answer by saying uh, because nobody else wanted to do it, so I was given DT. I got good telling <laughs> off for that from the head, <clears throat> even though we pulled out an outstanding thing. So I guess you were nothing uh, if not honest at that point, which is so, admirable oh, in some ways. But, so that's why I tell my staff now, whoever's coordinator, saying you've been specifically selected for this role because of your expertise and your enthusiasm, and your unique skill set, and what you can bring to this this challenging role. How did you feel um, first leading a subject? So I think it goes without saying you've got quite natural leadership abilities. Um, how did you feel, sort of leading PE for the first time? Oh, just leading from the front. You know, I mean, I was uh, I was sort of funny because none of my friends were teachers. They were all plumbers or bookmakers or bricklayers, old people I played football with and things. Um, so I made sure I did after. So there was nothing for me to get home early from sort of school for. So I did an after school club on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday nights. Oh, nice. Really, it really had a high impact that with children relationships and the community and the parents. And it was absolutely fantastic and things. So, so yeah, and I've always taken that trait with me. If you want to lead, you lead from the front. You show you show how it should be done, then and then lead and encourage and coach others to to follow that same vein. Amazing, I totally agree. And um, what about competitiveness of sport at school? Do you think do you think in primary level there's a there's a space for that? Trying to to win. I know we talk about participation. What's your view on um, sort of competition within sport at primary level? Oh, massive. You know, it really frustrated me around about the year 2000 when we changed sports day into having a carousel of activities, throwing a ball and a hoop, and it made the difference what you did. For me, being a, a sports person, it taught you how to win, it taught you how to lose more importantly, how to deal with that disappointment, uh, and how to encourage. Uh, and going back to my Pudgy Juniors, you know, I was one of the very few coaches who never criticised, I never shouted, anybody give the referee any sort of abuse, they came straight off, didn't care if it was a top of the table clash or anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Um, so I guess you've taken on some some leadership opportunities at that point in your career. How how did you progress from there? Was it a progression to sort of a key stage lead or an assistant head, deputy head? How, how did you climb the ladder, so to speak, from that point onwards? Well, I left uh, lovely Stoke-on-Trent uh, to move in with my then-girlfriend up in York. Uh, so, And I saw an opportunity to be a maths coordinator. And I thought, oh, I've, I've set the world alight with these times tables. And I'm I'm getting noticed by uh, school improvement advisors, by head teachers for showing how quickly I can get these uh, year three children yeah. through the times tables and things. So I went up to York as a maths coordinator. I had uh, uh, lots of ideas how to, how to implement things and things. Uh, so again, it was just leading from the front, doing model lessons, working with teachers uh, and developing, developing them into teaching the curriculum the best way it should be done. Awesome. So did you then stay in that role for a few years as maths lead? So then I met the fantastic John Sharp up in uh, up in York, who was a school improvement uh, advisor and led maths. And then he heard me spoke and he thought, actually, I can put him on a stage and, and speak in front of all the head teachers about maths. Yeah. And things. So naturally, I've, I've always been a talkative person, a uh, bit too overconfident, one uh, one could argue and things. But then they put me on a stage and that changed my life because I could get engaged people. I, could, I didn't go off a script. I could I could sort of work out what people wanted to listen to and, and aim this sort of uh, the point I was making onto 
how they wanted to hear and things as opposed to just me dictating. No, that's interesting to hear. I didn't realise that like speaking is something you've done for quite as long as that then. So quite a few years you've been doing presentations and speeches. I know it's something you do quite a bit of nowadays, isn't it? It is. And it's it's nice because it's I love engaging, I love sharing ideas. I'm a big one for caring and sharing. You know, these, mm, no, definitely. These, these things that I get from Twitter, from Simon Smith for reading mm. and yourself for reading mm-hmm. uh, and for Mark Unwin from writing and things and Claire Seary for the sort of yeah. curriculum and things. And it's about using their ideas, but make sure they get the credit for it because they were the ones that sort of inspired me. No, definitely. And as you moved onwards from coordinating maths, did you then step into like an assistant head type role? How, how did it how did things progress from there? Well, things then got quite interesting because I was working up with a, a head teacher in York at the fantastic, brilliant Poppleton Road. Yeah. Uh, and then she left to move back to Leeds to become the head at uh, Five Lanes Primary School. And then I had the opportunity to go to the World Cup in Japan. I'd, I'd, Did you? I'd luckily enough, I had some fantastic head teachers who let me have time off to go and follow England. That's abroad. amazing, eh? So I thought, I've got this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I can spend six months travelling around the world. Yeah. So I spoke, I spoke to my previous head who moved to Leeds and said, I might need some supply work when I come back. Because I was a bachelor in, in yeah. those yeah, sort yeah. of days. So I weren't tied anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then she said, right, come and see me. I went and had a chat to her. Uh, and she said, right, this is the chair of governors. We're going to give you an interview now. And the end shot was they gave me a one-year a one year temporary contract Amazing. Uh, to be sort of key stage leader. Cool. Uh, and it was fantastic. So I got the joy of traveling around the world for a year, yeah. coming back to a brand new school, being responsible for a key stage with a with a young, impressionable staff. Yeah. Uh, and it was fantastic. So from then, I did that for two years and then got the opportunity to work at an EAL school with 80% uh, Muslim children. Yeah. Wow, that showed me the work ethic that... Uh, these children had they just want to learn where was learn. this where and were you working it was it was over in Beeston in in Leeds yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Greenmount Primary School and again I learned so much from that two years experience amazing and then I moved on to be a deputy head at the fantastic Hopesworth Wood Primary School which which I stayed for for eight years you mentioned as a um as a pupil and as an early sort of subject lead there were um, some lessons learned in terms of like your honesty and um, I guess how certain situations were dealt with when you took on more responsibility as a sort of deputy head do you think in those positions you have to change your approach or do you think do you think you came very naturally to you well I've always <clears throat> I was lucky enough I went to a school that was in sort of special measures and sure. trying to get out of that situation so the basically job was again leading from the front getting my classroom exactly as I wanted it to get my teaching exactly as I wanted yeah. it, to then invite others to come in and watch for them to work alongside. So it was a case of basically giving them great new brilliant ideas that that they could work alongside with and, and sort of get the teeth stuck into and things. And were you at that point very conscious that you did want to be a head teacher? I'd left this quite late because Fortunate enough, I was a teacher of the year in the north of England in 2004. Oh, I see. Is that from the BAFTAs, no? What's that photo that you got on Twitter? From the teacher awards. Is it teaching awards? I love that one. But then luckily enough, my brilliant year five teacher now and senior leader, uh, Brooke Nolan, she was in my class. Crazy, uh, 
when I won that. So she knew she could bring all those maths ideas that she'd learned yeah, yeah. Uh, through her schooling time and things. So that's amazing. So you were uh, you're a deputy for how many years? Deputy head? Uh, about eight years. About eight years. And then, is this your first headship at Parklands, or have you had previous? I must say, I don't know. So no, this was this was my first one. Yeah. Uh, a, a job. Um, I was totally warned against it. You do not go into that school for your first headship. Do not go in. It's too big. Uh, the authority uh, had put it in uh, as inadequate, which I actually quite yeah. liked because that meant that uh, I could get twenty days. Uh, additional support from the authority and I've to ask for help or want help. I've never been yeah. one for denial saying, oh, I don't need that, I don't need that. Sure. Um, but it, yeah, it was a situation where nobody had touched this job. There'd been five head teachers in the previous year. Uh, really? Blimey. The governor's minutes show that there was uh, over 150 exclusions and that was my number one target to get that number reduced. Yep. Um, so it was big, but I had, a, I had a totally clear canvas. I, there was there was no performance management being done. There was nothing ready for the new curriculum. My deputy head was on maternity leave. So I was there with this young staff that thought they were the lowest of the low. And there was yeah. only one way that school could go. And that was up. And I've challenged these kids all my life. You know, I've, I was brought up to face a challenge and to get your teeth stuck into it. And this was like, this was exactly what I wanted. Because if it had all gone pear-shaped, I would have yeah. just gone back to being a, a, a brilliant teaching deputy. Yeah, yeah. And how, um, I get the impression that you thrive in a sort of backs against the wall, underdog type setup. I know your school has, has gone to sort of outstanding and I know the the data and progress is phenomenal. How do you keep yourself motivated day to day when you're now in a position that, that you've obviously had so much success? How do you stay um, like motivated there? Just by always staying forward thinking. So when we managed to get our outstanding, which for the community was the best thing in the world, my chair of governors have been chair of governors for 33 years. Oh, really? My average, average wow. staff age at that time was about 27, 28. So wow. he'd, he'd been there longer than they'd been sort of born. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it was just a case of uh, forward thinking. So when we got that outstanding, it was a case of, right, this is the start to the road to excellence. This is We haven't made it yet. This is just the start. So... For example, a year last September, I foresaw these changes coming to the curriculum. So I created yeah. a curriculum lead, uh, created a TLR point, and yeah. we really started getting stuck into this this wider breadth curriculum, no testing, you know, yeah. getting the depth in knowledge in there and the depth in skills. Um, yeah. And then we decided to then get the uh, subject leaders to write all the medium-term plans instead of yeah. classroom teachers. And then we got the teachers then to sort of put the cherry on the cake on them, making them into yeah. their own and things. And then luckily for us, we got the call to do a, a trial Ofsted for the new framework last May. Um, yeah, how was that? And so I said to him on the phone, I'll send you a new step. I've already got it ready for September with the new headings yep. on. Uh, I'll show you all his new curriculum things. This ain't, that's not needed. And I thought, I've done it, so I'm showing it you. And they were, at, they said, although they don't do a written report for you, they, sure. they couldn't believe how far on we were with our curriculum given that Amazing. we were never supposed to get an inspection again and things so so it's always it's always staying that one step ahead of the game and things so yeah and i mean i guess the curriculum and the the new changes the wider framework um that's now in a massive state of flux isn't it with the sort of 
lack of, I guess, clarity and awareness of when we might go back to school. But how do you see things looking in primary schools over the next few years? Do you think we're going to continue to get to this sort of more holistic, wider approach? Or do you think with the sort of gap in learning that children are going to have, there's going to be a need to sort of almost cram English and maths over the next six months or a year. How do you think the closures are going to impact the the new sort of Ofsted framework plans? Well, I think education is going to be totally different uh, when we do go back to school, uh, but we'll talk about that uh, towards the end of the show. Sure. Um, but it was... Um, what a question again. We'll cut that bit. I can't remember. I, I will cut it. Um What's going on? Oh, oh, Ofsted. So come on, we should keep this in. This is good fun. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's perfect how we can get sort of Ofsted to look at this this sort of new framework. Now, I was so impressed and so happy when I saw the draft proposals. I totally agreed. Reading is everything. If you can't read, you can't open up the gateways to every other subject. Such an emphasis so like, on it, isn't there? In the um, oh, yeah, and myself, who's pretty much seen myself as a times tables and a math school. Yeah, suddenly I had to change tack. You know, and I've got skilled people at my school then that set up a reading challenge where Amazing. we wanted children to read nine different genres yeah. of writing from Dickens to Shakespeare to stories from other cultures to autobiographies to detective stories and so on. Yeah. Um, and then we got some brilliant ideas from vending machines. Vending have, you, have you got a vending machine? Filling with books. Rob, Rob Smith. That's brilliant, hey? Nice to find me one. So now these kids, you know, to inspire the reading hit this reading challenge then they go and press a button d5 and they get to select their own harry potter book or their own it, book whichever i absolutely love that sort of thing i guess you get purists who are like you know they'll be like oh it should just be about the book and uh, gimmicks but to me i think anything that engages readers and anything that makes reading fun and exciting for children it's got to inspire yeah because we're competing you know, I mean, with so many other factors nowadays with screens and tablets and games like anything to bring those books like back into it's the forefront right i've got, i've got a daughter that you cannot get a book out of the hand if you're awesome. at the water park if you're in the water park in the summer it's like put your book down come on i've got a 15 year old son that's uh, sorry 16 now last week who tried putting a book in his hand is you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying, trying, trying to get him to clean his room yeah. <laughs> and things so but it's all right for my daughter because we're in town if we're going weather spoons we're going w8 smiths she can basically select three or four books and i can buy them yeah it's you know but, some some kids struggle. I struggled as my child to uh, myself, as I said, to be able to buy anything that I wanted. I really had to save up and, mm. you know, it was a real treat. So for these kids now, and there ain't no bookshops no. in Seacroft, you know, so suddenly these kids see these books that they can have for free and all they've got to do is love reading nine books. Bowsers, it's amazing, isn't grip. it? And it's all about that access. If you're just flooding them with access to books, like the chance of them finding one they like and lighting that spark is... It's just increased so significantly. I've got, children talk, I've, got, I've got children talking to me about Shakespeare and telling me the full story, Hamlet and things. It's like, <laughs> this is... Ex- I could not have wanted this sort of reading challenge. That's amazing, isn't it? To go any better, you know. And that's big love to my lovely Nikki Ty and uh, Rebecca Horn that really got that up and moving. Oh, that's incredible. Sounds like it's having a big impact. And yeah, around the country, I've seen schools doing some awesome things with reading. And I think, as we say, for me, if if children can take one thing from primary school it's being able to to read fluently and well and being able to fully understand stories because i think they can and it's and it's yeah. it's changed myself because you know when i think back i've probably read in assembly twice in six really? years really yeah. but but until this obviously this sad closure of schools 
I read in the last three assemblies. And when the kids stood up and gave me a standing ovation after um, reading it, after reading the full version, I heard it on the playground. That's so good, hey? You know, touched my heart, brought a tear to my eye. That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, I guess before we go on to coronavirus-related topics, um, what about the future for you, Chris? I've known a couple of grey hairs there, but obviously plenty of years left in the old dog. Um, what does the future look like for you over sort of coming years do you think what are your plans career-wise well I'm, I'm in a lucky position I'm on a huge site it used to be an old high school so I've got capacity to increase my numbers okay uh in my time at Parklands uh, I started with 240 kids when I first started in fact the very first reception class only three kids turned up on that first morning because over their parents dead body really? with their kids coming to my school wow so it was changing that concepts and things but I'm up to 360 now blimey uh, wow. and I'm and I can I can actually expand into three form entry, and I'd love to continue sort of this Parklands journey. I'd love to be able to take on a high school and to be able to run the Parklands way from three through till eighteen. That's like the I'm dream, lucky, isn't it? I'm lucky enough. I'm uh, I'm not money orientated. When uh, I remember when Graham Hyde rang me up to say I'd got the job, yeah. and he said, I'd "Be most." I was sat on the end of my bed, you know, just waiting for this phone call, and it came. He said. Chris, I'd like to uh, see you've been successful and we'd love to offer you the role of head teacher at Parkland. Amazing. Oh, I was so built. I said, I'll take it. I'm having it. He said, you can't take it yet, Chris. I said, why? He said, because we've not discussed your salary. <laughs> I said, love it. I said, I'm not fussed on the salary. That's so good. I said, I'm not fussed on it. I'm, I'm doing it because this is the thing I've always wanted and this is the, the school that's perfect for me. That's so um, refreshing to hear that, like how invested you are in it in terms of the idea of, growing that school into a larger um, form entry or even a high school. I mean, what a dream that would be to be able to continue to, to grow that community. And I guess the children that leave you after year six who have had those fantastic years, I guess the idea of being able to impact those lives beyond that would be something special, wouldn't it? Oh, 100%. You know, when the high school's still closed down now for training days yeah. or uh, when they finish early, I can have 30, 40 ex-pupils coming in just to come and see everybody and just to come back into the into the, into the the love bubble that we have in, in Parkland. It sounds a special place. I will, I promise, try and make a trip up north at some point. It seems a long way for me. I know, More than I know you got snow earlier, so I have to pat my willies. Um, so let's move on to uh, the coronavirus. Obviously, we've mentioned the fact that schools are looking very different at the moment. Let's think about when we do return to school how things might look i mean what what changes are there likely to be maybe positive maybe negative like what, what's education going to look like when we eventually go back whether it be july august september or even later well first of all if we look at something like twitter i think this has brought everyone together so closely that all those horrible twitter arguments and i've, I've one or two myself you know these Twitter arguments that come out of nowhere and they go on for days and the days, showing a lack of respect, a lack of listening. Yeah. You know, I'm hoping that this has changed everything now because we're going through a, a, an awful disaster which has got to galvanise us and bring us together and then keep us together after. I think the sense of communities in school is going to be so much more higher. Yeah. You know, where, where communities are working together. Everybody's affected by this. It makes a difference if you're a multimillionaire, yeah. if you're the poorest person in the world, everybody is hit by this same disaster. Yeah. And I think all that, I think we're going to have a, I think we're going to be a lot more socially aware. I think we're going to be a lot more sort of caring uh, as opposed to, 
me, 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 let's see how much money I can make and things. I think you're right. Um, Let's put some key, I guess the word key worker is very trendy at the moment, but it really has highlighted who who is important in society to allow allow things to run and survive doesn't it and i'm thinking obviously nurses doctors but even like looking at schools um with staff numbers off you've got teaching assistants office staff mucking in doing all sorts of jobs that are um it's just so admirable when it isn't obviously reflected in the salary or the sort of um maybe societal status that these guys receive but look at what a wonderful job everyone's doing and everyone in school should be so proud hey Absolutely fantastic. You know, <clears throat> the the work the NHS is doing is to be absolutely applauded. The military, the way in which they put up these hospitals. It's incredible, yes, isn't that? It's crazy. And I'm looking at everybody coming together and it just fills me with so much pride in this sort of really, really difficult, awful time. Doesn't it just? And what, what about teaching and learning? How do you... Let's say we go back in September. Let's say these children have all missed a third of their... Um, education let's focus on primary just for now i teach a year three class um what what do you think is going to happen are we going to like if you had to guess do you think we'll continue the year do you think we'll um start at the year four and then um try and cover year three curriculum will we have to cut things out of the curriculum to make up like what do you think will happen it's so unknown obviously i think it's just one of those things things are changing daily you know We'd like to think we'll be back after Easter, but I think we all know in our hearts that's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, I think we are looking at September restart. Yeah. But then we don't know because if everything's back to normal, could we start back in August? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if, it, if it's not ready September, if it drags into November, December, mm. you know, that if it, let's say the worst case scenario, we're not ready to go till November. Yeah. That is the really worst case scenario. Mm. That's basically March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. That's nine months out of school. Incredible, isn't so it? So I think questions questions could be possibly asked do we just redo the entire school year yeah change the face of education forever so receptions children start at five years old now yeah and you finish school at seven you do gc gcse's at 17 yeah i mean we, we just don't know at the moment it, it is speculation and things but as it comes to cramming what we don't want to do is then go back and just do non-stop reading writing maths reading writing maths yeah because we've got to keep this curriculum the curriculum is really entertaining the children it is isn't it and i i guess like it is a chance to think what actually is important and what really matters and i'm all for um i'm not anti-sats or anti-testing but we there, there are bigger things aren't there and bigger i guess oh, bigger fish to fry and when we get back in schools it's trying to really work out what is important and then try and find time to to we make just sure want children... this same amount our time it's very, we want our children back safe we want their parents back safe we want their grandparents back safe and go, keep going on staying inside and protecting these key workers is absolutely vital it really is isn't it's, it? a, it's a short it's a short term real pain for a long term it really is and as you say i think people are realizing how how lucky we've got things in life and how we often take things for granted and that social aspect whether it be at school at work or just meeting up with your friends for for a coffee like when those things are taken away from you it really does make you think how how sort of lucky we were before it hey absolutely i've got i've got the 16 year old who's desperate to see his friends you know but he knows that he can't You know, because as soon as we start, that's how the cross cross contamination will start. Yeah. 
and it's just about entertaining the house. I'm not one for giving timetables out. We're going to be doing this at this time, no. this at this time, at this very moment in time, because the market has been flooded. Yeah. The market's been flooded with online learning. And I know that the DFE and senior people are putting together a pack that if people want to do, is that likely? So that's my thought. Is if we're talking six months, I think it's hard for schools to just uh, just keep churning out things. Do you know what I mean? Just keep sending sheets or or links. It feels we're not trained in it. We're not trained in it. We've got these yeah. teachers doing these online lessons, no training whatsoever, straight up and off. Yeah. And I think we've just got to take a bit of time. This is a shock period. This next two yeah. weeks, you can call it shock period or the honeymoon period, yeah. where the kids. Are, the kids are getting used to what's happening. They'll have to They're then be something from the DFE, yeah. won't they, or something more central to, um, I guess, provide some clarity and guidance to to leaders and teachers. Definitely. But there is one thing that I think stands in really good stead when we go back into a school curriculum. And if you remember back to uh, 2014 when the new curriculum came out and suddenly the goalpost shifted massively, for example, in maths. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of year five maths had dropped down to year three and year two. Yeah. We had to adapt then. How do we close that gap then? How do we make sure all the things that they missed doing the next two years, we do it now? Yeah. So we managed to do that. Yeah. It took it took a year, teething problems. So again, going back to Ofsted, I'd like, you know, we can't really seriously be expecting September to November time. Ofsted's going to continue as it did just before it got closed. Surely not. Uh, no. Closed and things. So I think there's a lot of time for reflection. And, you know, I've got a lot of time for Ofsted. Ofsted's always been really great to me. Yeah. And I really value the, the the statement last week saying we could put people in school and we can help. Yeah. But again, that's cross-contamination. You know, look I after think yourselves, that's it. get I think... together in your teams, and let's look how we can make this Ofsted such a positive experience for absolutely everybody. I think so. And I think if Ofsted would have gone into schools last week, they'd have realised every school's doing an outstanding job, wouldn't they, in terms of thinking on their feet and um, crisis oh, managing, the as you learning, say. The learning my 12 kids got last week was everything that you'd, yeah. you sort of want to see that... They were building campfires. They were making marshmallows it on could, it. You know, they were, they were getting the clay out and making clay. It could be. It could be a change for the better, couldn't it? And I guess, oh. I guess, when it comes to each year's curriculum, I know it's really hard to do like a blanket approach, isn't it? Because different schools have covered things in at different times throughout this year. But I guess there could be a sense of looking at each age group's curriculum and seeing what could perhaps not be included to allow for other things that have been missed to be covered, mm. but. I guess that's the conversation for another day, isn't it? Because so much is up in the air until that point. I mean, it's just having the safety at the moment. That's the that's the big thing in keeping the message that we stay in and we look after these key workers. 100%. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And I guess, or and I really just appreciate talking about things that we don't always see from you on Twitter. We see a lot of the amazing stuff that you're doing at Parklands. But for me to hear... Um, how you got to where you are and some of those sort of key principles that you hold I think it's really inspiring and I think people listening will really take plenty from that Oh well thank you so much for your time and you guys stay lucky down there <laughs> Sounds and, big, and big love big love to you all your community your family and your friends and everyone and we will get through this together we will get through it together bigger and stronger Cheers Chris speak soon mate Bye. Take care David Cheers my good man